We are continuing on this evening in the transforming power of life with God, and we're going to shift emphasis just a bit with a message entitled Pray for Love, and we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 specifically. Let me give you a little bit of background uh, by way of review of where we have come from so far. We've thought about the importance of walking with God daily and how the Christian life is ultimately about life with God. It is who we are before it is what we do. It's our relationship with Him through the Spirit, and by the Word, because of Jesus, and we can come and we can walk with Him daily in everything that we do in life. And then we looked at four aspects of prayer, including prayers of adoration, uh, whereas adoration is a spontaneous yearning of the heart, to honor and magnify and bless the name of God. So it's similar to worship, but it's slightly different. It's a posture as well as our praise. It's our position before God as well as the proclamation of praise before God. And then we focused on prayers of confession, how confession is the deliberate decision to come before God with our sins, to agree with God that what we've done is sin and it's wrong, to confess that to him, repent of it, and ask him to cleanse us and to forgive us so that our relationship with him is not hindered. And then prayers of thanksgiving, uh, showing gratitude to God for salvation, for his presence in our lives, his sovereign providence over our lives, as well as the things that he provides for us. And then last, we looked at prayers of supplication, a request or a petition asking God for something specific for yourself or especially for someone else. And we're praying at all times with alertness for all the saints. So if you haven't noticed, the last four weeks have formed an acrostic. Very common, not original to me in any way. You'll see this in prayer uh, devotionals and encouragement. And it's the Acts uh, acrostic, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and then S for supplication. And what that does is it provides a basic framework just in your mind as you're thinking about praying and you're coming before the Lord that these are elements that should be a part of our prayer lives. Of course, sometimes depending on the day or the situation or the circumstance, we might emphasize one much more over the other. And I think that's part of the ebb and flow of prayer. But it provides for us a framework biblically of what prayer could be and what it should be with that Acts acrostic, A-C-T-S. And the reason that we pray is we pray because the Lord has taught us to pray. Not only has he taught us to pray, he has told us to pray without ceasing. As we think about praying for love, I want to look at the very first part of Galatians 5 and verse 22, and then I want to introduce a little bit further of how we got to that point or what the overall context of this passage is. And it says very plainly in Galatians 5 and verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, in Galatians, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh come from our sinful nature, our selfish nature. The fruit of the Spirit comes from our abiding in the Holy Spirit, 
by our surrendering to God in the Spirit working in our lives. So let's think about what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And this is not comprehensive, but it certainly is the primary things that the Holy Spirit does uh, in our lives as we trust in Christ. Uh, Before we come to Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. So a lost person wouldn't know that they were lost were it not for a gospel witness and then for the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. When a person places their faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates the believer and makes them a new creature in Christ Jesus. That happens to every single one of us when we get saved. Simultaneous with that is the spiritual baptism where we are brought into the family of God and the Spirit of God seals us for the day of redemption. So the language is that the Holy Spirit is the down payment. Uh, He's the one who seals us and secures us in our relationship with God. Also at salvation, the Spirit of God indwells us. So he comes into our lives. He takes up residence in us. If we don't have the Spirit, we don't have Christ. But if we're in Christ, the Spirit of God is indwelling us. And all that takes place when we believe, when we repent and we place our faith in Jesus. And then from there, the Holy Spirit progressively conforms us to the image of Jesus. Remember that the ministry of the Spirit, generally speaking, is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the one who conforms us to the image of Jesus because he glorifies Jesus in all things. He's drawing us into a closer and closer walk uh, with our Savior. And then he produces spiritual fruit in our lives as we abide in him and as we submit to the power of God. So this is where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. Fruit is a spiritual result of abiding and is a spiritual result of growth. And these are characteristics or qualities in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 that God produces in our lives. And we're going to look at these one by one in the coming weeks. It's going to be more of a topical approach, especially in this particular session. Uh, But we're going to think about what these are in our lives and how that should change how we pray and how that broadens some things that we can be praying for so that this would be a reality for us spiritually. Now, there were distinct ideas of love in those days, and even from a scriptural perspective, including the idea of a romantic-type love or a passionate-type love, a love that would be also applied to family and friends, and then agape love. You're familiar with this. As students of the Bible, you know that agape love is the love that is self-sacrificing, and it comes from God. This is the love that is in view in Galatians chapter 5. And love is defined, in one sense at least, as an intense feeling of deep affection. But the love of the Holy Spirit, uh, the love that is manifested in our lives from God, is agape love. It's the main way that it's translated in the New Testament. In fact, you'll find it some 200 times in the New Testament. 
the love of God is defined by the holy character of God. God's love is intentional. God's love is sacrificial. So when we're talking about the self-sacrificing love of God, we're talking about the purest form of love. We're talking about the highest uh, kind of love that there is. Now, it's transcendent in that it comes from God, but it is applicable in that we live it out in his power. Uh, the Bible commentator William Barclay said agape has to do with the mind. It's not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. So we're going to look at the subject in this session by considering a number of different verses. But I want you to consider how you can turn this into being a part of your prayer life. And we're going to look at results of praying for love in our lives. And the first is this, because of love, we are children of God. We are children of God. Now, the verse here, and I'm going to give you these, each one as we go along, uh, so you'll be able to turn to it or at least make a note of it if you'd like to do that. But the verse that I want to go to is 1 John 3 and verse 1. And it says this, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. This verse focuses on God's love and how his love results in believers becoming children of God. So think about it this way. When you become a child of God, it is a great sign of love that comes from God the Father. And John writes, see, or maybe it's translated in your Bible as look at this, because that's literally what it means. Hey, put your eyes on this, notice this, be aware of this. And the idea that God would love us enough to make us his children is the heart of the gospel. Unbelievers do not know Christ. People were created to live as children of God, but you know that sin marred the original purpose and broke the relationship. So God sent his only son to restore the relationship. And when we trust in him, we are brought into the eternal family of God. The idea of knowing God is about more than information. So when I say to you that we're focusing on the transforming power of life with God, that's what I'm wanting to communicate. It's more than just information in your head. It's closeness. It's the connection that you have with God because of the work of the Spirit in your life. And it is fellowship with God in every regard. And we're not only called children of God, but we truly are children of God. This is closely related to John 1 and verse 12 where it says, But to all who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name. So to be a child of God or children of God means that we have access to the throne of grace through prayer at any time and at any place. We have the promise that when we exercise that access that we have at the throne of God, that we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. And a child places their trust in a good father in order for that father to supply their needs. 
and a child of God lives on earth as a part of the family of God and eagerly waits for a future in heaven with God. I love what J.I. Packer wrote about being God's child. He said this, he said, you sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. And then he concludes with this. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Because of God's love, you can be called a child of God. That changes everything. It's your relationship to him. So one of the things that we can do in praying for this love to be a reality in our lives is just recognizing the relationship that we have with the Father, thanking Him that He's adopted us and brought us into His everlasting family, thanking Him that we can come with confidence before the throne and call Him our Father. Now I want to suggest some brief prayers as I go along this evening, and this one is the first uh, related to the idea of being children of God. Father God, thank You for sending Your love to us in Your Son, Jesus so that we can be called your children. It is a blessing to know you and to walk with you by faith. And then second, because of love, nothing can separate us from God. Romans chapter 8. Now, a little bit of build up to Romans chapter 8. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, in Romans 1 through 8, Paul essentially gives us this incredible summary of what God has done for us. It is a strong theology of who God is and who we are and how we can be reconciled to him and then what that means. And he begins with how sin separates us from God and the condition that we find ourselves in in Romans 1. By our works, we can never obtain right standing with God because we are sinners uh, and have begun to worship the creator created rather than the creator, Romans chapter 2. But God provided the way for the believer to be justified by faith, Romans chapter 3. You understand that God's plan for salvation has always been by faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God has never had another way of salvation. The only means of salvation has ever been that there's ever been is by faith in the promise either faith looking forward to what God said was going to take place or us having the luxury of looking back at the finished work of Christ. And then Romans chapter 4, when we are justified in this way, we have peace with God. And as he leads into Romans 5 and 6, we're reminded that we are freed from the sin nature by faith in Jesus. And then Romans 7, we're supposed to live according to that nature that we have been delivered from and to. And then Romans chapter 8, if we live according to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, here's what I love about Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 proclaims the extent 
of the love of God for us as his children. Romans 8 and verse 1 opens and says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul explains the gospel and he makes it clear that apart from Christ we're under condemnation. But when we are in Christ, we're no longer under condemnation. So once you put your faith in Jesus and God declares you righteous, there is nothing that can condemn you. Because Jesus died on the cross and he took your condemnation upon himself. He took the penalty that we deserved. And because of that, there's no condemnation for us when we are in Christ Jesus. And we come to Romans 8 and verse 38 and 39. And notice what the scripture says. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I believe these verses really form the pinnacle of Romans 8. And there are 10 designations that are outlined. Death and life, angels and demons, things present and future, powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation. So what's the point? He is giving us all-inclusive, all-encompassing statements. Paul's saying in a really beautiful way of stating it uh, that this spans anything and everything that could possibly ever remove you from the love of God. Or to state it another way, nothing, no matter how terrible or powerful, can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what John Piper said. He said, the reason Paul can say that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ is because Christ is alive and he's still loving us now. He is at the right hand of God and is therefore ruling for us. He is interceding for us, which means that he is seeing to it that his finished work of redemption does in fact save us and bring us safely to eternal joy. His love is not a memory. It is a moment-by-moment action of the omnipotent living Son of God to bring us everlasting joy. Jesus Christ is mightily loving his people with moment-by-moment love that does not always rescue us from every calamity, but preserves us for everlasting joy in his presence, even through suffering and death. Here's how this applies to your life. As you pray, especially for that security that you have in Jesus from the love of God, you should never feel even an instance of insecurity about God's love for you in Christ. doesn't matter if your momentary circumstances are as unstable unstable and shaky as they can possibly be. doesn't matter if the sand under you is shifting and the people around you are changing and the circumstances are dynamic and it's darker than you've ever seen it before. None of that stuff matters because the love of God is consistent. It is consistent unchanging. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's the prayer for uh, this section. Father God, because of your love, there is no situation in life or death that can separate your children from you. And this gives us confidence 
and strength and life. And we are thankful. So as you pray for love, I want to encourage you to pray for that confidence. Pray for that strength. Thank God that there's no situation, it doesn't matter how bad it is, that can separate you from the love of God. And then third, because of love, our priorities are set. Let's look now at Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, clearly, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. And it's a reminder of the focus on God as our number one priority and our focus in life and in all things that we do. And I was thinking about uh, how to illustrate this, and I thought about the fact that God is our true north. Now, here's what I mean by that. True north is calculated, or so I'm told, by using an imaginary line through the earth, marking the direction toward the top of the earth, at an angle of 90 degrees to the equator. True north runs parallel to the earth's axis. So that means that true north then is a fixed point on the globe. Magnetic north is different. It is the direction that the compass needle points to as it aligns with the earth's magnetic field. So the magnetic north pole shifts and changes slightly over time in response to the Earth's magnetic core. But true north is always the same. Now, I'm going to do a little exercise here, if I can find what I did with my phone. And we're going to point to what we think north is. And we're just going to have some fun here to see what your bearings are. But if you didn't know it, uh, there's a compass on your, on your iPhone. Uh, maybe on other phones too, I don't know. Um, but we're all going to point at the same time which direction we think north is, okay? So I'm, on the count of three, I want you to point where you think north is, and then we're going to go from there. All right, one, two, three. Wow. It's right over there, that direction. So a lot of you are actually right. So you had good bearings, so you kind of know where you are. Um, just a little bit of fun there. But God is true north. He's the same. He's unchanging. He's dependable. And because his love for us is unchanging, when our focus is on him, so we're focusing on, that was magnetic north, by the way, because that was my compass. But um, at any rate, can't be that much difference. Uh, When we're focusing on God as our number one priority, what happens? Everything else lines up with it. And love of God means to choose our delight in God. It means to faithfully love God and trust him in obedience. And the heart speaks to the center of your life, but it's also comprehensive. So when the Bible's talking about the heart is the seat of your being, it encompasses physical, spiritual, mental, it's the entirety of who you are. And the heart drives your beliefs and your emotions and your thoughts and your intentions. Soul focuses on the vital force that keeps you alive. And mind uh, is not actually in the original quote back in Deuteronomy. 
but it's applied here. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus especially drew it out here uh, was because it would have related well to a Greek culture, certainly, that put a very high value on the mind. So when we say heart, soul, mind, uh, we are covering everything that influences our feelings, our beliefs, our desires, and our intentions. So here's a summary of it. If you focus on God as your priority in life, if you love him in this way and you pray for this love, then your other priorities are going to flow from it. But if you get the priorities out of order, everything's going to be in trouble. Strength comes from force, power, or ability. It's also translated as might. And it's the effort or passion with which we follow God. So the idea is that God and our relationship with him is to be the number one priority, which influences and directs every other priority in life. And here's the prayer for this section. Father God, would you set my priorities in a way that everything I do honors you? Protect me from misplaced priorities that may cause me to focus on things that do not matter and help me to love you well, because as I love you, I will love others well also. And then fourth, because of love, we can find life, prosperity, and honor. Proverbs 21 and verse 21 says, The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. Solomon wisely pointed out that a life marked by these virtues will result in a longer life, spiritual progress, and a good reputation. The pursuit begins with a relationship with God and is connected to the righteous character of God. It applies to relationship with others in kindness. Now, if you think about life uh, running an average span of uh, 80 years, uh, some, of course, are blessed with much longer lives, but let's just use 80 years for sake of argument. We think about lives our lives more or less in quarters, uh, give or take. And a successful life, whether we live 70 or 80 or 100 years or whatever the Lord blesses us with, is one that honors God, but it's a life that is being lived in preparation for what God has for us in eternity as well. And the way I think about it, there's so many people that they, they, they like disconnect their lives from what eternity is going to be. And they think, well, this is my life now. And they compartmentalize the spiritual and the secular and, and it's just disjointed. And as Christians, all of it ought to flow together. We now are living in preparation for eternity. And when we think of righteousness, we're thinking about the things that go through our minds, the words that we say, we're speaking in a, and doing in agreement with the standard of God's character. Uh, faithful love is the mercy and compassion and kindness that God gives us toward others. And it's the wise path. It's the only path that's going to cause us to win in life. And I think there's so many people that exchange uh, real life, purposeful life, for what they think is real and purposeful. And it turns out they just spend their time on a lot of stuff that, stuff that doesn't ultimately matter. If it's not investing in your relationship with God or in other people, if there's not some type of purpose that you're investing your energy into, then you're just busy. You're just doing stuff. If it's not a life that is giving and flowing with 
the lives of others uh, in honor of God. There's a little story I read about 128 runners who were in the field for the cross-country race at the 1993 uh, NCAA Division II Track and Field Championships. As they set out on a 6.2-mile run, they were following a course that had been marked out for them by the race officials. But toward the end of the course, one of the runners in the middle of the group realized something was wrong. Mike DeCavo of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed the turn. He said, I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, this is the right way, he told an interviewer after the race. Turns out DeCalvo was right, but only four other runners followed him. The rest continued on the shortcut, which allowed them to run a shorter distance and finish the race more quickly. And in a widely criticized decision, race officials allowed the abbreviated route to stand as the official course. And DeCalvo officially finished 123rd. Now, the world does not always reward staying on track, either literally or figuratively. But the path we follow matters to God. And one day, those of us who have trusted in Jesus for our salvation will appear before the Lord. Our entrance into heaven is already certain because remember, There's no condemnation because we've been covered by the blood of Jesus. So the issue is not our entrance into heaven. The issue is our service. And have we lived a life that is filled with prosperity and honor in the things that matter? And when we stand before the Lord, no shortcuts are going to be recognized. Only those who have run the race by his word are the ones that are going to be rewarded for it in that sense. I think about the words of the prophet Micah when he defined what our goals should be. He said in Micah 6 and verse 8, he has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now the prayer for this section is, Father God, I want to pursue faithful love so that I can find life righteousness and honor in my life. And I want faithful love to be exercised in every area in my relationship with you, with my family, and with everyone that I come into contact with. Because of love, number five, we can genuinely care for others. First Corinthians 13 and verse one says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Now you remember the situation in 1 Corinthians 13, the Corinthian church, at least part of them, uh, misunderstood spiritual gifts. They thought that the spiritual gifts that were more obvious, the ones that were more prominent, the ones that got more attention were in fact the most valuable gifts. Paul is correcting that way of thinking And he makes the point that regardless of what you're capable of doing, regardless of what your giftings are, regardless of what your calling is, love has to be primary. It has to be primary in your life. And he refers to human 
tongues in languages or angelic tongues in languages. Perhaps the language of angels uh, refers to an actual language that was spoken among heavenly beings, or maybe it's just a figure of speech, uh, speaking of uh, how articulate they were. Either way, the main point holds. And here's the main point. Love is the foundation of all that we do. That's the point. And if we don't see that, we're going to miss opportunities in our relationship with God and in our service for God. I like what Josiah Gregory said. He said, people of uh, little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God and man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill. It makes a great noise because there's nothing in it. The love we extend to others is to be self-sacrificing and it gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love that is also so great that it can even be given to the unlovable. It is a love that can be given even if it is rejected. It is a love that gives because it loves, not because it will receive. And we've got to be very careful about this in our lives and our homes and our relationships and our Christian ministry. We have to continually check our motivations. Because if we are doing what we're doing so that we will get something in return, that's not love. That's called manipulation. And love and manipulation are very different things. If, though, we are giving and loving because we genuinely care for other people, whether or not we get recognized for it, whether or not it gets returned, or whether or not it even gets received, then we're doing it for the right reasons And God will bless it. So here's my prayer. Father God, I do not want my love to be a bunch of noise. I do not want my love to be like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal with no real effect. I do not want to love with a manipulation or because of what I think I can get in return. Help me, God, to love and genuinely care for others in the same way you have loved me and genuinely cared for me. And then number six, because of love, we can deal with our enemies. Matthew 5 and verse 44, this is the words, these are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says we're to love our enemies. Everybody knows that we're supposed to love our neighbor. We all know that. But as disciples of Jesus, we're also called to live by a higher standard than what the world might expect one that is impossible to attain by our own standards. Only by the power of the Spirit can we love and pray for those who may intend us harm. I also want to note here, in keeping with the focus of the message this past Sunday, this kind of love is also in keeping with accountability and dealing with sin in the church, as we referenced in the sermon in 1 Timothy 5, in the connection to Matthew chapter 18, in church discipline. These are not conflicting of one another. They work together. But even so, we are to love even our enemies. And God calls us to this. I share this by way of illustration. Jake Sheehan might have been considered an enemy after he accidentally shot Jared Borella, his very best friend in the world. 
Rhonda Barella sat by Jared's bed at the hospital for three days and three nights while her son was fighting for his life. During those long hours, she had the opportunity to reflect on what happened and to find it within her to forgive. And when Jake went to visit his friend in the hospital, he was fearful and uncertain. But instead of hostility, he experienced genuine love and a profound forgiveness. Rhonda put her arms around Jake, and they entered Jared's room together. You see, God-like love is for everyone, friend and foe alike. And love has greater power to resolve conflicts. And we might even surprise the person who has hurt us. And we take the alternative to getting even, and we replace the spirit with a Christ-like love that only the Holy Spirit can produce in our lives. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the beauty of this is what God demands of us, God also brings to pass. So here's the prayer. Father God, it is not easy to love my enemies. I often forget that vengeance is yours. I also forget at times that I once was an enemy of you. Help me to love with the same grace and mercy that has been extended to me and to even pray for those who persecute me. The encouragement for all of us is to pray for love. And when you pray for love, God's Spirit will produce it in your life. He will make it a reality for you if you submit yourself to him. So I hope that even emphasizing these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I hope that by emphasizing these and praying for these, that they would become more and more a reality in our lives. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Father God, we are grateful for the work of your spirit in our lives, the truth of your word, the love and the constant intercession of your son. I pray that as we incorporate requests for prayer for love in our lives, that you would make it a reality. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that while we were enemies of yours, that Jesus paid the penalty for our salvation, for our redemption. And I pray that we might live in light of that love in all that we do and be reminded of your goodness and mercy to us and make us a people of love. Help us to think as we pray how we can more and more become a people of love because you have first loved us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.